0: Welcome to the Fullness Church weekly podcast. At Fullness, we value the Bible and believe it is critical to teach it clearly, remaining true to its central focus of hearing and living the transforming news about Jesus. Our hope is this teaching will do just that. Romans chapter 13, verse 11, please. If you're new to Fullness, welcome. Yes, we are always this smooth and... uh, (laughs) Romans chapter thirteen. Hey, how many of you like waiting? Anybody like waiting? Jonathan, I knew. I knew there was something just off. Uh, yeah, there's a lot. I was being kind. Uh, I, I'm not real good at waiting. I, I have to confess, it, it's not one of my strengths. As a matter of fact, I'm terrible at it. Uh, This past week, I was waiting on my wife, she was having a medical procedure done, and so while I waited, I drank some Starbucks and uh, wrote this sermon. Um, While I was sitting in the hospital, I thought it was a productive, productive thing to do, but I'm not always that productive while I wait, and probably neither are you. Sometimes when we wait, all we do is waste time, scrolling on our phones or our devices, Sometimes when we wait, uh, we fall asleep, take a nap. Sometimes when we wait, we get into all sorts of trouble. Um, We, right now, in this period between Christ's first coming and his second coming, there's an element of waiting that we are all engaged with. And the question is, what do we do while we wait? While we wait, while we are here, I I have to tell you that there was a period of my life where after I got saved, I wanted to live for the Lord and do the things of the Lord, but there's an element of life where I felt like ultimately my goal was to not screw up so badly until I died or Christ came back. That was my goal in life. Don't screw up until I die or Christ comes back. Now, there's got to be more to life than that, right? There's got to be more to the joyful Christian existence than just trying to not mess up. And so we're going to talk about that today. How do we live this life of joy? Over the past weeks, we have looked at some of the aspects of waiting, That during the waiting, we can hang on to the promise of God. Remember in Genesis, this is Gabriel's sermon. In Genesis, as soon as man falls, as soon as he stumbles, God promises him that one is going to come who's going to stomp on Satan's head, so to speak. Who's going to crush the serpent and is going to give us life. Then we looked last week at um, the power that God has given us in this time of waiting. And in the peace that God has given us. We looked at Isaiah, uh, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It's easy to lose our peace. And today, I want to look at this passage that talks to us about This between the times, what do we do while we wait? It was read to you at the Advent candle uh, lighting earlier, but let's look at it again. Here's what Paul says in Romans chapter 13, and this is not a usual Christmas passage, but I think it will apply to this aspect of waiting. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber. Because our salvation is nearer now than we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. A very rich passage that has so many different angles to it. But I want to look at this as, what does God want from me right now? What is his plan in the waiting? What is his plan for me? So let's look at this together. The first point is this we need to wake up. We need to wake up. I preach this sermon every year, uh, and I'm going to preach it again in two weeks based on the first opening part of this passage that says, and do this understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up. From your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. So I'm not going to dwell a lot on this aspect of waking up. I'm going to hit it from a certain angle in two weeks, which is New Year's Eve. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it then. But he begins this aspect of waking up with this phrase: "And do this." The question that comes is: Do what? Based on what? He's basing this wake-up call, so to speak, on what he said before. He's already told us something, and then he says, and do this, whatever this is. So let's back up two verses into verse 8. He says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandments there may be, are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this. Understanding the present time. Do what? Love. Love our neighbor. In the waiting, we need to wake up and love. This command to love. And and again, we slip into a lack of love. Like we slip in last week to a lack of peace. We slip into a lack of love. Again, my own issues, I know. I know I'm commanded to love. I recognize the biblical injunction to love. So in fulfillment of the bare minimum requirements of love, sometimes in my life, I have minimized love to this, loving tolerance. I, I don't really love, I tolerate you, not you. But um, you I love completely. Are there not some people in this life who are hard to love? I mean, the closer you get to them, the more it's like trying to hug a porcupine. You know, a prickly pear. It's just like you try to love them and they just, they stab you back. And so you're like, this isn't worth it. And so instead of really loving, we have this loving tolerance. Or we're driving down the road and someone cuts us off and we say, Oh, brother, I love you. (laughs) Idiot. We throw that in at the end. Why? Because we slip into a lack of love. And we also live in a society and an age where love is not the overriding characteristic of what we see. The love your enemy part? No, no, no. We're taking them down. They're going to go down. And instead of fulfilling what God has called us to do as followers of Jesus Christ, we at times are the most judgmental. I think one of the things, and this is not new. Paul is talking to a Roman church 2,000 years ago and saying, Wake up! Love one another. Love your fellow man. Love those around you. The church in Rome was experiencing a lack of love. Why? Because they were being persecuted. They were were being taken down. And he's saying, do this. Let no debt remain. By the way, we could talk about the whole financial implication here. The only debt you have in this life truly is the debt to love one another. He goes on and says, do this understanding, love, understanding the present time. What is this? What does he mean by present time? Does he mean the political environment? Does he mean the world situation to world circumstances? I think Paul has a very specific meaning. He doesn't mean time like Um, chronos, like chronological, or, oh, you're in 80 AD and we're in 2100 AD, 2000 AD. It's not that kind of, it's the quality time. What is the age in which we live? What is this present time? And I think Paul's going to make it clear that this present time, this dark age that they were in, is the same dark age that we live in, which is The time between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. We live in this time between the times. This age between when Jesus came and when Jesus will return. Here's what Jesus says. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when we can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. should be we can do no work in that passage. But nonetheless, here's the idea. Jesus came. Behold, a light has come. On those living in the land of the shadow of darkness, a light has dawned. Jesus, while he was here, he says, I am the light of the world. There's coming the night. We're in the nighttime and have been for thousands of years. But Jesus also declares to us that we are the light of the world. During this dark night, we're to be lights, not in and of ourselves, but a reflection of the light of the glory of God to the world around us. Is this getting too theologically dense? I, I, I'm hoping it's not. The idea being the time that we live in now is between when the light came and when the light returns. We, therefore, during this dark, we can either fall asleep or we can be light. Reflecting light. Reflecting the love of God to the world around us. The issue is, remember the parable of the ten virgins, five fall asleep, five stay awake. And at the end, Jesus says, therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour of what? The return of the bridegroom. When he's coming back, you don't know. So we're to live, we're to stay awake, we're to stay alert because we don't know when Christ has come. We're going to not fall asleep. What is the idea of falling asleep? Well, let's get into that. Second point, and... Congratulations, you came to a sermon where I only have two points. That's amazing. I know, I try to make up for it at other times. But this is the point. Second point, dress appropriately. Dress appropriately. Anybody ever had a teenage daughter? It's one of, the, one of the claims. Dress appropriately. Here's the question. Does this outfit fit the occasion? Does the outfit I'm wearing fit the occasion? Um, Dave and I are not teenage girls, uh, but we were running yesterday and we were talking about with some other people that we were, had, had come across a water station. This is stuff runners talk about. Maybe it'll illustrate it, maybe it'll just bore you to death. We look at the weather, we see the temperature, and we know immediately what to wear. Maybe you may, what? Like if it's 40s, I'm wearing long sleeves and gloves. If it's in the 30s, I'm I'm wearing running pants, long sleeves, clubs, and a headband around my ears because my ears get cold. Um, If it's in the 20s, I put on another shirt. If it's in the teens, I'm in my pajamas because I ain't going running. That's kind of my running rules. Does the outfit fit the occasion? How many times do you, when you're especially with husbands with your wives, does your wife say, does does this outfit fit where we're going? Like we were going to dinner last night with some friends and Kathy was saying, does this outfit, do you think, what is this restaurant like? What is this like? Do you think this outfit fits the occasion? And my answer is always, yeah. (laughs) That's my, that's ours. Looks great, honey. Well done. Well done. You look great. I, I don't know the answer. So yes, always seems to fit. Plus, it takes us less time to get there. (laughs) Dress appropriately. Here's what Paul says. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. He's saying this. Take off this. Put on this. Take off this. Here's God's plan for your life your natural clothes are the deeds of darkness that's what you automatically dress in put it off take it off and instead put on the armor of light there is a conscious decision here to take something off and to put it on it doesn't just happen he goes on says let us behave decently as in in the daytime Not in orgies and drunkenness. Not in sexual immorality and debauchery. Not in dissension and jealousy. These are the things Paul gives as examples for us to take off. The things that we shouldn't put on our lives during this time of darkness. I could go through this list and preach sermons on all of them. I think they're pretty clear. Behave decently. Meaning, don't behave indecently. No orgies and drunkenness. Kind of a group activities. Um, Not in sexual immorality and debauchery. These are kind of fulfillments of your own fleshly desires. Not in dissension and jealousy. These are coming against others. Now, I don't know about you, but... Honestly, I don't see dissension and jealousy in the same categories as the rest. And yet God does. We, we are, we are, I was talking to Scott before church this morning. We were talking about um, this, I've shared with you before, that it's amazing to me that the gifts of God are not revocable to people. Like, I, I look at some very gifted, both prophetic and preaching and Some very gifted men who are walking in sin, and it seems like if I were God, I I would take it back. The problem is, God sees sin as sin. And if he's going to snatch it from them, he's going to snatch it from me. And he's going to snatch it from you, because sin is sin. And we all have sin in our lives. We have these degrees of sin so we see, uh, we see orgies and drunkenness not on the same level as jealousy. We just look at them, those aren't in the same thing. But they are all deeds of darkness. Take them off. Get rid of them. And instead, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. <clears throat> One of the aspects of the sinful nature is it's addictive. And it, it's so addictive that it will make you, it'll make you make choices based on filling your addiction. Please, listen to me carefully. I, I, I know this both experientially and through counseling. What happens with people who are addicted to sin is they start planning their lives over meeting the sin. In their heads, even, they're thinking about, when can I be alone? When can this happen? When can this take place? When can, I, when can I do this? When can I slip out? When can I read this? When can I see this? How can I arrange my life so to feed my addiction? When can I drink this? When can I eat this? When can I do this? It's an addiction. Stop thinking about. What do we do instead? Set your mind on godly things. Whenever it starts to come against you, put your mind somewhere else. You can't stop thinking about something. If I were to command you right now to stop thinking about how red these poinsettias are, don't, whatever you do, do not think about how red these poinsettias are. Don't think about it. You can't make yourself stop thinking about something you're thinking about. Instead, the only way to stop thinking about how red the poinsettias are is to think about something else. The thing we're to think on is the Lord Jesus Christ. Set our minds on him. As a matter of fact, we clothe ourselves with this armor of light, Paul says. The Lord Jesus, we put him on. It's where in Ephesians he talks about putting on the armor of God. The armor of God, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, and, and, and in everything, covered in prayer. I think there's a conscious... You know, it's, some of us think, some people think, oh, it's so corny to put on the full armor of God, go through that whole thing, or I'm putting on a helmet. It's so dated... You know, it's so antiquated to think about armor of God. But I think there's something powerful in taking the moment and consciously, I'm clothing myself with the Lord Jesus Christ. I am clothed with him. How do I do that? And this exercise will help us. What is the first thing you think of in the morning when you wake up? This is like 15 more minutes. Come on, fifteen, five more, 10 more, 15 more, whatever it is. That's your first thought. Not yet. Do you ever lay in bed and say, thank you, Lord, for this day? I'm clothing myself. I choose right now to refresh myself and clothe myself with the Lord Jesus Christ. Before I get out of this bed, I'm putting on the armor of God. says in Galatians 3, For all of you were baptized into Christ and have been clothed with Christ. Ray Stedman says this, When I get up in the morning, I put on my clothes, intending them to be part of me all day, to go where I go and do what I do. They cover me and make me presentable to others. That's the purpose of clothes. In the same way, the apostle is saying to us, Put on Jesus when you get up in the morning. Make him a part of your life that day. Intend that he go with you everywhere you go and that he act through you in everything you do. Call upon his resources. Live your life in Christ. We have been clothed with Christ. But we also have the choice to put on this clothing or to leave it off. See, here's what I'm trying to say to us. This is God's plan. While we wait, in the waiting, what are we to do? Put off the deeds of darkness. Love our fellow man. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's God's plan. It's not that complicated. Doing those things will complicate your life, however. It's not easy to walk it out moment by moment and day by day. Put him on. He goes on, and John says this we love because he first loved us. I think in this loving aspect, we will find that, we'll find that it touches the world around us. The world around us changes. Here's the Christian approach to helping the world come to know Jesus. The general Christian approach is this: stop it. Whatever you're doing, stop it. And we point fingers like this too, which is never very helpful. As a matter of fact, they teach you in preaching school, don't point to people. It doesn't bless them. They don't like being pointed at. You don't like being pointed at. I mean, it feels like he's accusing me of something. But that's the way the world feels. We point at them and say, stop it. Instead, do you think if we walked in God's plan of loving them, blessing them, sharing with them, we might have a better opportunity to change? In the 1920s, a, a man named Louis Laws went to be warden of the most, one of the most famous prisons in the United States, Sing Sing Prison in New York. It was a horrible place. It's a horrible place now, but you can imagine in the 1920s how bad it was. His wife, Catherine Laws, um, she was a mother of three children. With her husband, they decided to institute a series of prison reforms. By prison reforms, they mean just treating the prisoners like people. Treating them like human beings rather than treating them like animals. Now, that's not to say that the sensibilities of the day weren't carried out; they were still imprisoned, death sentences were still carried out. But instead, there was a certain dignity that they tried to instill in the prison. Um, as a matter of fact, they would um, they would send clothing to the prisoners' children when they had special occasion. They would feed the prisoners um, better. They would have classes for the prisoners. Catherine Laws was, was known to go into the prison with her three kids, visiting with prisoners, sitting down and talking to them, just treating them with human dignity, loving them. In the late 1930s, Catherine Laws was killed in a tragic accident. And she was known by that point as the mother of Sing Singh. I don't know if that's the title you're aiming for, but um, she was known as the mother of Sing Sing. It was said when her body was laid in rest at the warden's home, just over the hill from where the prison was, the prisoners just crowded the gate, looking. The warden decided to just open the prison gates and to say, go down, pay your respects, and then come back he didn't set any guards he didn't put any down by the place he didn't put them anywhere he just opened the gates and hundreds of prisoners left and every single one of them came back why why to me it, there's a story there there's a picture there of when you do what god calls you to do they'll have effects people will actually stop doing the deeds of darkness, and put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and walking in his light? See, my, my best hope for you today is not telling you, hey, stop it. Stop doing the drunkenness. Stop doing the, stop doing, instead, if I say to you, just put off darkness and put on Jesus, you'll begin to act like Jesus is calling you to act. We'll love like Jesus called us to love. We'll care for others like Jesus calls us to care. God's plan for you and me during this time is not that complicated. Put off, put on, and love. When you think about what what does God want from me when I leave this place? Here's my, put on Jesus, love people. Put on Jesus, love people, and you'll fulfill the deeds of light. One of the great hymn writers of an earlier generation, several generations as a matter of fact earlier, was Isaac Watts. In the 1700s, he determined to set all the Psalms to music. He wrote, rewrote them in with a Christian framework, looking at the Psalms, and one of them was Psalm 98, and he divided it into two parts, and the second half of Psalm 98, he wrote these words that have become one of our favorite Christmas songs of all time, which is this, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king, let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. Now, just uh, before I get to the meaning of the the words, he didn't repeat, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and heaven and nature sing. That was done by the musician who put his words to a tune. And by the way, the, the, the tune that he set it to uh, is a mixture of tunes from Handel's Messiah. He just stole Handel's music, combined it together, not, not Isaac Watts, but the guy who put the hymn, hymnal together. And so to make it work, there, he, he was, did something that was popular at the time, which is repeat the last line several times. Here's the point, though, about the hymn, forgetting about the music. The hymn itself is not a Christmas hymn. It is not. It was never intended to be a Christmas song. We're the ones who have adapted it as one of... I mean, ask any person, their top five favorite Christmas carols and Joy to the World is going to pop up. But listen to it through the eyes of Watts, who wrote it not as a first Advent hymn, but a second Advent hymn. He wrote it with the intent... To proclaim the second coming of Jesus Christ, as the psalm does. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare a room, in heaven and nature sing. Going on to the second verse. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. There's an element of earth being restored. The king rules and reigns. No more let sin or sorrows grow. Or thorns infest the ground. Going back to the promise of God from Genesis chapter 3. We don't live in that age. The first coming of Christ doesn't bring these things yet. We're living in the night between the first coming and the second coming. And Watson in this hymn is proclaiming the second coming for as the curse is found. Which, by the way, is the worst repetition of the whole him. Yeah, when you get to this, we're going to sing it in a minute. And when you sing it, you get to the part, far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse. It doesn't fit where it fits the rest of them. But then the last verse, this joyful verse, it is a declaration of his coming. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. Whenever we sing this song, and we will sing it every Christmas, remember it as a hymn of Advent, celebrating his first coming, but really looking with anticipation to his second. God's plan in your life between these ages is this. Love people. Put off darkness put on light lord today we celebrate you we thank you we rejoice in you we sang with joy with the anticipation knowing that you're going to return knowing that you're coming back knowing that you love us now and as a result we have the ability to love those around us god i ask you to forgive me for my lack of love God, I ask you to forgive me for the self-centeredness with which I live my own life. God, I ask you to forgive me for, at times, just growing apathetic to the deeds of darkness that are around me and in me and on me. And instead, Lord, I pray that I will rip off these clothes that are so dark, and instead, Lord, I would clothe myself in your light. I pray that for every single one of us. Lord, I pray as we sing this great hymn of faith of joy to the world, the Lord has come. We, we, we sing it in faith because we, we know it has occurred and yet it is still, be, still to be fulfilled. your ultimate rule and reign. During this time, Lord, your plan for us, may it be fulfilled in us and through us to the world around us. Stand up with me, if you would, and let's sing this hymn of anticipation of the return and the joy of the Lord. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this teaching blessed you. If you ever find yourself in the Birmingham, Alabama area, come check us out. For more information, please visit fullness.life.